you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you guys open up to James chapter 2? We're going to be going through James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold uh, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing uh, a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes uh, and shabby clothing also comes in, and you uh, pay attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, uh, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs uh, of the kingdom uh, which, ha- which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Uh, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who uh, drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which we were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to uh, the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all uh, of it. For he who says, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, have you not become a transgressor of the law? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy uh, to one who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift this uh, time to you, Lord, and we just ask you to to move on our behalf, Lord. Uh, Thank you for your word and, and for this time that we get to look into it, Lord. Show us who you are and the things that you want us to do in Jesus' name. Well, as we continue to journey through my life without a net, come on, as we continue to work our way through James, last time James really began to to lay out for us a concept that's going to follow the rest of the way through the book, and that is to be um, not hearers only, but doers also. The idea that we are responding to the faith that we have in Christ with actions, right? You guys tracking with me okay? Because later on, we're going to hear next week, there's three different kinds of faith, and only one of the three saves. Like, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but the demons believe in God. But they're not saved. So the idea as we work our way through is this reality, the reality of our faith produces fruit. Right? If I said to you I'm an apple tree, what do you expect to find in my branches? Apples. Apples. Not pears, knowing. If I said... <clears throat> so, so what we want to do is we... It's basically what James is talking about. He's walking our way through very practical reality of what's it like when we live for Christ? What's it like when we live our lives out for the Lord? And when we do, he said, look, you need to realize that sometimes trials come into your life. But your trials accomplish something. They're not empty or devoid of meaning. 
That everything we've ever suffered, God has held on to. Every tear we've ever cried, God has kept. And Jesus makes a promise that He's going to make all things new. So we hold fast to that promise with hope to the future when we see Christ. And so, He says, in light of that, be let out with joy, right? Have wisdom. Have these things that we talked about in chapter 1, which all come back to the same point. You remember what it is? It all comes back to this ideal. And that simple ideal is that Jesus is central. And if Jesus is central and my treasure in my life, then my life will bear record of that. See, we can say anything we want to say, right? Once we say it, we got the easy part over with. But the reality is in how we live. I can say I'm an apple tree, but if there's no apples, you're not really sure, are you? You're not really sure what's going on. Is this for real? And so this is the very practical nature of the book of James. We work our way through. We're going to be seeing this more and more. Now today he's going to talk to us about a, a particular sin that creeps its way into the body of Christ. And that's the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. And so when we look at it uh, this morning in verse 1, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So beginning this concept, dealing with the idea of of showing partiality, he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Literally, in the Greek, it says, stop holding the faith in respect to persons. Stop stop being partial toward others. Now, just so you can get this, we work our way through, we're going we're gonna to pick on rich and poor, because those are simple terms to grab, but I just want you to know you can put any term in there. You can put any color, any creed, any country, it doesn't make any difference. The sin of partiality is only is not only a sin if it's against the poor, or if it's against the rich, or if it's against anyone. Because what the Bible is going to tell us is that we need to follow the royal law. Does everybody remember the royal law that says you shall love your neighbor? How is that New Testament? No, you know where that comes out of Leviticus. How many of you guys done a long, deep read of the book of Leviticus? But there in the middle of Leviticus, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would tell us that this is the, the goal, the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. To love God. Remember, Jesus is our treasure, centrality of, of Christ. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. That we don't show partiality toward others. Now this is something that at least I came to be aware of in my personal life. Probably, I don't, I'm not going to know for sure, maybe three, let's say three years ago, when uh, I was confronted with the idea of how I saw um, people who practiced Islam. See, I never went out and told them about the gospel. I didn't mind going out on the corner of Planned Parenthood and having people throw tomatoes at me. And I didn't mind some of the other things that, that we would do, but I just would not. Did not want to. I, what I did is I came face to face with my own prejudice. Because the Bible says, don't hold the faith in partiality with people. Don't, t- don't take that and say, yeah, you know what, this is, this is for us, but not for you guys. Now, maybe it's because of my time in the Marine Corps. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, they're, they're the bad guys in all the movies now. I don't know what the deal is. But we can develop a prejudice. Now, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's something else. 
But I just want you to hear what God's word is saying. Don't hold the faith captive and be <coughs> or show partiality toward people. Meaning, I'm, I'm not going to share this. I'll share it with others, but I can't do it with them. I'll share it with others, but I can't share it with this person over there or that person over there. Maybe for some of you guys had a, a, um, opportunities. We have opportunities every day, don't we? If we'll open our eyes to see what God has for us. Well, listen, we don't want to hold the faith ransom in respect to people because of how we see people from the outside. Do, you, do we know what's going on inside of them? Yeah, maybe they're my enemy, but what's the Bible say to do for them? Oh, it's crazy, huh? Love your enemy, pray for those who, what's the next phrase? Despitefully use you? Oh, right? So this is what Christ is calling us to. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 1.17 it says this, You shall not be partial in judgment. You will hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. For judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, bring to me. This is Moses talking. So Moses is setting up his, his seconds, the guys who would help him lead the people. He said, hey, you don't get to judge with partiality. You don't get to be pro one group and, and, and anti another. And a lot of times... <clears throat> that's how the world wants to spin what we as believers do. But I just want you to know this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I love the, the women who go into Planned Parenthood, or I love the Muslims that go into prayer on Friday out at the mosque more than most people. And you know why I know that? Because I've gone out there to tell them about the gospel. That's love. Now the world might spin it and say you hate them. I don't hate them. I don't hate nobody. But I want to tell them about the truth. And now the truth may make you mad at me. But that's also something Jesus said, isn't it? What did Jesus say? How are they going to treat you? So look guys, if the whole world loves you, there's a problem. Maybe you're saying you're an apple tree, but there's no fruit. And if people saw the fruit, maybe, maybe that'd be different. There'd be different reactions, right? Because Jesus said the world hated me. It'll hate you too. And so some, some, but that's okay that that's their perception. That can't be my heart, right? I don't go in spite. I don't go out of hatred. I go because I want someone to hear the opportunity to to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In the middle of what they're, whatever they're doing might be bad. A long time ago. Soldiers for Jesus, I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. They were an old, uh, I know they're still around, but they're an old uh, MC uh, motorcycle club out of, I was in California when I rode with them. And what they would do is they'd ride out to biker bars and they'd park their bikes outside and we'd sit outside and as the guys came out, we'd stand and, and witness and share the gospel with them right there. Now sometimes it was a little dicey, but most of the time it was it was pretty cool was there was good opportunity but i could say i i love them because because i'm there are you guys tracking with me the idea that the scripture is laying out for us here in james is don't hold the faith with partiality like this is only for me or this is only for white people 
Or this is only for the Chinese. No, it's for whosoever will, isn't it? And so that, that should be our heart and our desire. Our heart and desire to be able to share those. Remember when Peter was on the roof at, the, at Simon the Tanner's house? You guys remember he had a dream, a vision? We often like to quote this scripture because we like bacon. And so we feel like it makes it okay, right? Remember he had, sees a sheet come down full of unclean animals. And God says, Peter, arise, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never let any of that stuff touch my lips. And God says, do not call common what I have cleansed. And ultimately, in verse, I think it's verse 34, yeah, 1034, <coughs> Peter realizes what God's telling him. Listen to what Peter, how Peter defines all that. He says, listen, surely I understand God shows no partiality. See, Peter was going to hold the gospel captive for the Jew. But where was God going to send him? Cornelius' guys are about to come knock on his door and say, hey, you want to come tell a Roman centurion about Jesus? And he's like, uh, well, I just had a vision. You think that's a coincidence? No, God is saying, hey, 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 this gospel, this good news is for whosoever will respond to the invitation, right? Whosoever will put on Christ. That's what it's for, and that's what we wanted to accomplish. Romans 2.11 says, God shows no partiality. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So as far as God's concerned, one race, one group of people, the broken, who can be made whole in Christ. And that's the point that James is trying to drive home for us. So we want to understand, this is a principle of the faith. Partiality. We don't show partiality. We, 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 we can't have this problem. We want to stop. And it, it's an important thing to come face to face with in our life. You know, it was important for me to sit down with Sammy. What was Sammy's last name? We have to say it louder. Tanaga. Tanaga. Yeah, you're right. I'm very impressed. So, Sammy Tanaga, was, it was good to sit down with Sammy and, have, and, and then just realize, you know, yeah, man, I am, I'm prejudiced. Man, I don't, you know, sometimes I can still become more patriot than, than uh, missionary, but God called me to one and not the other, didn't he? To be, nah, I, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I bled for this country just as many of you did. And I want to honor this country, but this country honors, is honored best when it honors God. When that is this nation's goal. So what's the, who's the person of faith? Who's the person? It says here, show no partiality. You hold the faith of, who's the person? The Lord Jesus Christ. What's central? What stays in the middle? So rather than thinking, I, like, I really like this guy because <laughs> he's got a, a Harley. Or I really like this guy because he's got a Honda. Or I really like this guy because he didn't have a bike at all. Or I really like this guy for this or that guy for that. We should love each other for what we have central. That is what? Christ. It's, the, it's Jesus Christ in people's lives that we love. Everything else is just icing, man. We, we, we just want to have that centrality. It's, 
It's Christ that we're drawn to. That's why the body of Christ can be so diverse. That's why you can have guys who look dramatically different hanging out together because it's not all their things that they have in common that unite them. It's Jesus Christ that unites them. So we don't show partiality. We have faith in Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. He is what we hold to. He is what we cling to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, you and I, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So that's, do you see what he's talking? He's painting this picture of the light of Christ shining through our life. And that that's the thing that, that intrigues us and draws us into camaraderie one with another. So that guards us from partiality, right? It's not some kind of external deal that we're, we're working on, but the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we want to practice our faith. We're going to live out our faith without partiality. Everyone the same. Well, he's going to illustrate the problem. Look at verse 2. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring... And fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, <coughs> Excuse me, you sit here in a good place. While you, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because what's going on is we're making a distinction based on what? Outward appearance. How does it look on the outside? How, how, does, how do we relate with what we see? You know, a lot of times we see things that, that maybe are different than, than what or who a person is in reality based on what's on the outside. But listen what the Lord said in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees the heart. Now listen, if we have Jesus Christ in our heart and lives, then that is what should unite us, right? We're going to be different. Not everybody does the same stuff. Jesus, when God created the heavens and the earth, He did not make every animal a teddy bear. There's a lot of diversity in creation, isn't there? There's birds, there's fish, there's mammals, there's things I don't even understand what they are. Reptiles, there's stuff I don't understand why he made, but he made it. All this diversity in all of creation, there's that same kind of diversity within the body of Christ, within you and I. It is Christ in me that's the hope of glory. And it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. And that's the thing that we want to, to be able to see in one another, one another, to see Christ in. Now, if you see somebody without Christ in them, then that should be all the more important that we share Christ, right? That we share Christ so that they can come to know Him. So he says here in the beginning in verse 2, if a man comes in. So if somebody comes in, if you have two different kinds of people and you treat one different than the other... We want to stay away from that. Why? Because what's the purpose for which we're coming? We gather together to worship God. That's what it's about. Well, sometimes uh, worship is good, and, uh, or the worship team is good. Sometimes the worship team's not. Sometimes 
things happen good. Sometimes on your way in, there's <clears throat> a car wash to trip over. There's who knows? All the different things that can begin to play into the worship experience. But what was the goal when we came? Prayerfully, the goal was to come and, and have a moment just to focus on Christ. To see Jesus. To, to tell Him we love Him. And we care for Him. To gather together corporately and say, yeah, we're standing for Christ. We want to make a difference in His name. So we want to realize that when we come, that's our, that's our purpose. Our purpose is to come in worship. And that worship has value regardless of how we look. Or how we sing. Or whether or not we got rhythm. None of that stuff matters. What does God judge? God's not looking down at us going, you know what, I just, I really like these worshipers because they have perfect pitch. You think that's what God does? Man, we had, uh, Kat's not here, so I can't ask her her name. I can't remember her name. Maybe Shannon remembers. We had a kid in youth group. Could not sing to save her life. Literally, no, I, I don't know if there really is such a thing as tone deaf, but as close as you could come to absolute tone deafness. Now, here, here's what I loved about her. I didn't stop her from praising God. And <clears throat> she... She was, now, a lot of times you hear people talk about this idea of, uh, of uh, you know, knowing yourself. Well, she knew that that's how she sang, but she didn't, she didn't let it take her focus off of anything. And so she'd be praising, and sometimes she'd get really loud, you know, because she's really into it. And one of her friends would just nudge her and, and say, it's a little loud. And she didn't stop praising. She didn't get upset. She didn't get irritated. She just got a little bit quieter, but she continued to praise God because what was the, why was she there? To praise God. And praising God was what she was going to do. And that's what we have to realize when we gather together, when we come together as a body, when we see these things. It doesn't matter what somebody looks like. Somebody's wearing a suit. Now, here, you're going to stick out in a suit. <laughs> right? It says, I know, I know that occasionally Phil's wearing a shirt and tie. It looks really nice. And that's Phil. I don't want to change Phil. Phil. Phil can wear whatever he wants. You want to wear a suit? Wear a suit. Yeah, the other end of the spectrum is, is probably Howard with his uh, biker vest and his <coughs> bandana on his head. But you know what they're both going to do? They're going to both praise God. That's how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. And one's not better than the other or more valuable than the other based on what, how they dress or what they... What they do, it's all Christ in their heart that we want to focus on, right? We want to focus on that reality that Christ is in us. So we don't want to have attention be taken away in light of, of all of those things. Now look at verse 3. We want to have this kind of an attitude. It says, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet. So toward the rich or toward a certain group, you give attention and toward the other group, you kind of cast that off. Now, this happens a lot in church, right? We, we call it clickiness. All right, We all have a natural bend toward something, right? We, maybe, we, maybe our natural bend is more toward the left, or maybe it's more toward the right. The point that the Word of God is saying is that that's okay, but don't ignore your brother across the aisle because he's different than you. He's got the same Jesus you have. Are you guys with me? 
Same Jesus, same Christ in us, that we're different. And it's okay that we're different. It's okay that we have these differences. We can <coughs> celebrate those differences. What we don't want to have is partiality. Because he very specifically says, this is a sin. Look at verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, become judges with evil thoughts? How do we become judges in evil thoughts? Well, by our method. What was our method? We showed partiality. We honored one, dishonored another. And Jesus very clearly tells us we're all one in Christ. We're all the same. We're all part of the same family. And really, that's what we want. At Calvary Chapel Buell, that's what we want when we gather to worship. Not that there's, I know there are different groups and different people. We got guys who like to ride bikes and we got guys who don't. And we got guys who like to hunt and we got guys that don't. We got guys who want to play music. It doesn't matter. That's all good. But that shouldn't divide us to the point that, that we are separated or segregated and we honor one and we dishonor another. It's all right to celebrate that these are things you enjoy. Enjoy them. Praise God. But as you do, as you do, look for the opportunity to honor your brother or sister across the aisle from you. We don't want to show partiality. (laughs) We don't want to become judges with evil thoughts. Oh, those people are dirty. Or all those people want to do is kill me. Well, I'm glad. You can come to church. Well, I'll be careful how I say this. Your, your shorts can be dirty, Noah. It's okay. I'm glad you feel comfortable. I wouldn't want you to start feeling uncomfortable, Noah. So you... <clears throat> you are good, brother. So, then the scripture goes on. Well, then how do we do it? How do we love each other? How do we love... We can, we can recognize that there's diversity in the body. We can recognize... We don't want the sin of partiality, so how do we do it? How do we, how do we love our neighbor? Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So I want you to see the, the key. What is this all based on? Well, God has chosen the poor. God has chosen... Is there When we read the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us when all the saved are gathered in the end of days, in the eschaton, when all the saved are gathered, do you know where they're going to be from? They're going to be from everywhere. Every tribe and tongue, every nation, everywhere you can imagine, God is going to pull from everywhere. Why? Because God has chosen people everywhere. How did he do it? Well, when he sent out his invitation, where did he send it? He sent it to everybody. Everywhere the gospel goes, the invitation goes forth. Come, right? The song we sang earlier, come to the altar. Is that only for certain people? Is that just we sing it in church so people can come to the altar at church? Or is that the Lord calling the world? The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only, only begotten, Monogonaeus, his one and only son, He gave him. Jesus Christ is a gift to who? So the whole world? So so then we understand that that call has gone out. God has chosen. God has chosen some people you're not going to like. Shocking. 
God has chosen to reach out to people. Maybe you're like, oh, I wish he wouldn't have done that. I would have liked to have all kept it in this group or this group, you know. But, but here, here, you guys understand, here the distinction he's making is between rich and poor. There's a reason. Why? Because the poor were slaves. And who were most of the Christians in the early church? Mostly slaves, right? Mostly, so there's this whole weird dynamic in the early church where you got slaves and masters and weird dynamic, right, of coming to worship. You can get how that would be a little crazy, right? <laughs> but the same thing carries outside of wealth. The concept of wealth, it carries beyond that. So God has chosen. Now listen to who God has chosen. I love these two sections of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says this, For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Now that's got to sting a little, right? Because right now there's a few guys going off. It's a good thing it says not many. Yeah, stand by. Yeah, not many wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being can boast in the presence of God. And none of us get to brag to God. We really didn't have all that much to do with any of this. Right? God did. It's Him. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. That's what we've been talking about in James, right? <coughs> Christ is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So that as it is written, let no one boast except to boast in the Lord. So the idea is, man... God chose people from everywhere, from all walks of life. And basically what God is saying is, since I was willing to save you, you really shouldn't look down your nose at anybody else. I was willing to save you. And in case you think too highly of yourself, God says, I did that. And because I did that, I, I want you to have eyes like him. I love that. that and I think it was an Amy Grant song, the idea of, Having my father's eyes. Uh, I know Hillsongs has a song where they say, I want to love what you love and hate what you hate. I want to see with God's eyes. You know, things that, that hurt the heart of God, I must stay away from that. Things that bless the heart of God, I, I want to be about that. Does that make sense? So, so recognizing we want to have his eyes. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, similar section of scripture. <clears throat> Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me into his service. So Paul says, I'm thankful, man. God let me come. Are you guys catching what he's saying? Paul, he says, he let me come. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent, opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, man, when I was... Doing all those things that I was doing, I'm thankful that, that God loved me in my sin. And He still extended unto me that gift of salvation, right? God, if there's somebody you were going to withhold it from in the early church, it would have been Paul. Don't say that guy. All he's done for the last couple of years is running around killing Christians. Don't save him. But Paul says, man, I thank God that in all that, God showed me mercy and grace. 
which radically transforms Paul's life, which throughout history has radically transformed others' lives, as a result of that example. He says in verse 15, the saying is, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, of whom I am chief. Paul, Paul never saw himself as something special. He's going to write 13, at least, epistles of the New Testament. 13 of the books of the New Testament are all going to be penned by Paul. But he's going to consider himself the worst of sinners that God was willing to save. I think that's the way we ought to see ourselves. Not the other way. Not the way that says, God got a really good deal. I was on a bargain basement and he got me for a really good price, you know, and... I'm extra special. Now, I'm not denying that there's not extra specialness in every single person on the face of the earth. In fact, you're so special to God that when you are still a sinner in <coughs> service against God, that God sent His Son to save you. Even then, God loved you. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to focus on. That keeps us from partiality. Because now we can see others in, in a light. Oh man, you're just a sinner saved by grace. Me too. Maybe one brother's got tattoos all the way up to his earlobes. Maybe another guy ain't never seen a tattoo parlor in his entire life. But they can sit side by side in a pew praising God the same way. Because they were both, what? Sinners saved by grace. That's, that's how God sees his family. And that's how we should learn to see one another, man. That that's our heart, to, to love one another in that way. So this choice that God has made, that He has chosen to, to use the weak things, to confound the wise, <clears throat> it makes us rich in faith. Well, that's what the Word is declaring to us in verse 5. God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be, what? Rich in faith. Rich in faith. And heirs to the kingdom. Two things that he gives us. He makes us rich in faith. Second Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sake he became poor. So that you and your poverty might be rich. Now don't think this is talking about money. What do you think the God of the universe had? You think he is lacking anything? He's got everything he needs. But he saw you and me, he saw us in our poverty, in our broken state, and he said, I'm going to become broken so they can be whole. Or I'm going to become poor so they can become rich. You guys get what I'm saying? This is, It's God who has delivered us into that. <laughs> through him we have richness in faith. And it's through him that we're heirs to the kingdom. Look at 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord rescues me and He brings me. I'm heir to the kingdom. I'm, I'm, I, my inheritance is to be with Christ, to be in Christ. This is all the truth that we have. So when He's laying out this ideal for us, hey, don't be partial toward one another because it's the example we want to follow is Christ. That He left it all to be made like you and I so that you and I could be made like Him. He came so that we might enter into life with Him. Look at verse 6. He says, So, but you have dishonored the poor. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? 
the ones that drag you in the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Again, here's the idea. There's a distinction within the body. There's a distinction <clears throat> within the church. And this distinction that's going on is between rich and poor, slave and master. In Proverbs 14 it says, not to dishonor the poor. Listen, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich man has many friends. You know that's true, right? Well, if you had money, you know it's true. I didn't see too many people with money that didn't have a lot of friends. Well, they might not be real friends, but they had a lot of people around them. But listen to verse 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Did you hear that? Oh, Jackie, who is my neighbor? You know, somebody asked that question to Jesus once. You guys remember? You really don't want me to tell you that story, do you? Yeah, you remember the good Samaritan? Soon as Jesus said there was a Samaritan, everybody said, there's the bad guy. You know, if I wanted to tell that story today, in light of our current political climate, I would say that it's the story of the good Muslim. Oh, did he just say that? Yeah. Because now you're thinking like they thought when they heard Samaritan. Right? Aren't you? And what was the story told for? Why did Jesus tell them that story? So that they would know what? Who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Well, yeah, Lord, I should love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Just the guy living next door to me? What about the people who live on the other side of town? What about the people on the other side of the tracks? What about the people who come from places I, I don't really like? What was the point of Jesus' story? Yeah, that's your neighbor. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what he wants us to understand. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. We want to remember the poor. The Bible is full of it. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. God must love the poor because he made a lot of them, right? But the idea is, hey, we're, we, we're supposed to love them. When you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Isn't that what Jesus said? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When did we do these things, Lord? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Are we loving God like that? Are we loving God by the way we love our neighbor? Or do we dishonor the poor? Do we oppress the poor? It says, whoever oppresses the poor insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. He who is generous to those in need. To be honest, some of the most generous people I know uh, are um, probably in more need than a lot of other people. But they're willing to give. They're willing to help out. That should be our heart. And in, 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 <coughs> in Ezekiel 16, Lord have mercy. Is there anything worse than a summer cold? Yeah. Let me just tell you. No, in case you were wondering. Oh. In Ezekiel 16, the Lord says, 
to Judah. Uh, it's a prophecy to Judah through Ezekiel the prophet. And there's this one part, I just, uh, uh, it's, I'm, I'm doing it a disservice because I don't have time to spend very much time into it. But basically he says to Judah, you're just like your sister Sodom. And he says, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She had fullness of food, idleness of time, and she didn't care about the poor. So when we come to Ezekiel 16, just I'm not trying to make any kind of a political statement at all. I'm just trying to say, look, that matters to God. You, do you care about the poor? Yeah, can you solve poverty? No. It, are, if we give money, is it going to solve it? No. Are we going to have them with us forever? Yes. Are we supposed to be generous to the poor? Yes. That's what the Word of God tells us. Don't oppress the poor. We don't want to drag them in the court. We don't want to be those who despise the name of Christ. In 1 Peter 4.14 it says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We, if, if you're being insulted for the name of Jesus, that's a good thing. If people hate you because of the name of Jesus, that's a good thing. If they hate you for something else, maybe that's not so good. We want that light to be shining through us, guys. We want that light to be working through us. So we want to understand the conduct in this illustration that God wants us to exhibit toward one another without partiality. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of how much of it? All of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you commit adultery, if you do not commit adultery but murder, you have become a transgressor. Of the law. So, what's the basic principle that we see that he's telling us here? He's calling us the royal law. The royal law is simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. We read about it in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read about it in Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus 19 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. Leviticus, the royal law. Love God, love people. Love God, love people, you'll fulfill the law. If you love people, you don't steal from them. If you love people, you're not going to kill them. If you love people, you're not going to do grievous sins against them. If you love God, you're not going to do those things either. It's amazing how well it works. I don't even have to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I just have to tell you, learn to love people. Learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Learn to love others the same way you love yourself. Now, maybe the world will tell us we all need to love ourselves more. But I just don't really see that in this world. That people are having a hard time loving themselves. I see a lot of people focused a lot on self. If you're focused that much on self, trust me, you love yourself just fine. (laughs) There's not a lack of love for self going on. There might be a lack of love for others, but not a lack of love for self. So we want, to be, we want to be those who, in reality, love our neighbor as ourselves. If we do that, we don't show partiality. We, we don't have this divisiveness within the body of Christ. And keep in mind, throughout James, he's talking to us. He's talking to brothers. 
He says, listen, brothers, listen, brothers, listen, brothers. This is how you ought to be. This is how you ought to treat one another. Jesus said, they'll know you love, they'll know you are my disciples by the way you love each other, right? By the reality that there's diversity within your body, and yet you still get along. Because here in their church, there were slaves and masters that both praised God in the same service because they both were one in Christ Jesus. Their relationship might have been different the rest of the week. But when they gathered for worship, it was all about Christ as Lord. And they learned to to overcome those distinctions in their life. And we can too. We have ours too, guys. Maybe we don't got slaves and masters here, but we got our distinctions that we want to be careful of. We don't want to see the practice of discrimination. We don't want to show partiality. Because if you do, or since you are, you're sinning. That's what he says in verse 9. If you show partiality, you commit sin. And you're convicted by the law. It's not okay. Everybody get that? It's not okay? It's not alright? You don't get to justify it? Well, they didn't do something for me. I don't know. You don't get it. You don't get to show partiality. You don't, need to, you, you don't get to have that. That's the law that convicts you. So what is our goal? What is the thing that we're supposed to move toward? Whoever keeps a whole law. I like this because how does he... He takes the sin of partiality, and what's he compare it to? Two other sins. What are they? They're the go-to sins everybody goes to. Murder and adultery, right? So he says, here's the sin of partiality. That's a sin. And then he says, let's compare it to two other sins. Murder and adultery. So most of the time, those are in most people's big three, right? So he's, God's the one comparing those guys. He says, even if you don't commit adultery, if you murder, you're guilty. So the, the point, the line that he's drawing is saying, look, if you're showing partiality toward your brother or sister across the aisle or, or uh, across the street or wherever it might be, if you are showing partiality, that you're just as guilty as the murderer or the adulteress or adulterer. You're guilty of breaking the law. It's sin. Now, what do we do with sin? We confess our sin. What's God do? Forgives us. And then we repent, which means we stop. Knock it off. Stop doing these things. <clears throat> stop letting these things or allowing these things divide us. All of this ought to be based on the character of God. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Listen to this line. I like scary verses in the Bible. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has no mercy. you have mercy? Do you show mercy to your brother or sister? Because that's the call that God's given. Hey, live your lives like you're under the law of liberty, right? We're under the law of liberty. Jesus Christ has set us free. He's fulfilled the law so we stand in Christ and, and with Christ. But if you, you need to understand this, judgment is without mercy on the one who has no mercy. Jesus told a story like this. <clears throat> he said, two guys owed a lot of money. One guy owed the king like a million dollars. He shows up to the king, can't pay the king, cries before the king, please, give me more time. The king says, you're never going to be able to pay this, dude. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you. You're forgiven. You don't owe me a dime. That's a pretty good day, right? That'd be, I mean, I think most of us would say, man, I wish the IRS would say that to me. 
You don't owe me nothing. At the end of the year, oh, you're forgiven. We'd like that, right? Well, then the Bible says this same guy goes down the road and he sees somebody who owes him ten bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and he shakes him and he says, where's my ten bucks? And the guy begs him, please give me more time. Please give me more time. And he says, no, no more time for you. And he throws him in debtor's prison for ten bucks. And one of the servants went back to the king. And said, you're not going to believe this, dude. You forgave that guy? And he just roasted somebody for owing him way less money. So the king calls the guy in front of him again and said, why did you do this? And he throws him in prison. Says, you're going to stay here, you're going to rot in prison until you pay every dime. Which means you're rotting in prison. Because you don't ever, are never going to be able to pay the debt you owe. And that is exactly what God is talking about when we don't have mercy for other people. If you don't have mercy for others, judgment is without mercy upon those who have no mercy. So we better come face to face with our little weird prejudices and our, and our problems and our, the things with which we want to divide up within the body of Christ. We need to recognize, you know, we, God, is, God is calling us to, to love and mercy. He's calling me to forgive like I've been forgiven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I was forgiven millions for sure. So I don't got the right to hold anything on anybody else. I, I got to let it go. I got to let it go. God can judge between us. That's God's job. He does that way better than me, but I'm going to have mercy. You hear what I'm saying? I want to I say, at the end of the day, you want to you put up on my charge. Here, Jack, you know what Jackie's problem was? He's too merciful. Right on. Do it. Nail it right over the cross you hang me on. <laughs> Too much mercy. Because when I stand before God, that's a good one to stand on, right? Because I want mercy from God. Don't you? I want forgiveness from God. Don't you? I want a relationship with God, and I know that you want a relationship with Him as well. So we want to speak and act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, hallelujah, that's what it's all about. It's the grace of God that saves us, man. It's the grace of God that, that does it. It's mercy that is more powerful. Forgiveness that is more powerful. God's word calls me. It says, man, I want you to, <clears throat> to judge yourself so that you won't be judged when I do that, that's where I want to look. Am I being a forgiving person? Am I being a merciful person? Am I showing grace toward others? Or am I showing partiality? Because James says, man, you guys want to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Don't just hear it. Look in the mirror. See yourself in the mirror. Say, man, is this, Lord, are you talking to me? Is this something in my life? Then confess it, repent of it, and go on. <clears throat> this doesn't have to be an end or a stop gap for us. We just recognize it. We look at it in the mirror. We address it in the mirror and we're ready to go on, right? To a faith that bears fruit. Here's to a bunch of apple trees with apples all over them. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? Let's pray.